0: that's out there much fake news in ancient babylon welcome to the soma podcast i'm mark and i'm paul now that we've deconstructed our evangelical beliefs we're trying to find a way forward to hold on to christian faith and community in a post-christian culture today we said we would talk about um the end times put that in scare quotes Yeah,
1: that's a that's quite a big topic. Like, I think I would say there are people out there, probably even listening, who are like that they've devoted a significant amount of time studying this topic. And um, our podcast isn't um, a study per se, right? So, like, there no. there might be a lot of times where someone listening might go, "Well, what about this passage? And what about that passage?" And we're not going to really approach it that way. Um, just just to set expectations, we're going to have a conversation like we always do in our podcast. We won't answer all your questions, uh, but we might ask some new ones that you've never thought of before. So I think it's going to be an interesting little ride. I wanted to ask you, Mark. So have you like? Did you ever get into a period in your life where you like you read the Book of Revelation and you were totally into it and you were totally into the end
0: times? I recently reread it, actually, or parts of it, and I I definitely um, was interested in the end times. I think I shared earlier, one of the earlier podcasts, part of my conversion story was I had um, a dream slash vision in which I saw um, a picture, experienced Christ returning to earth. And at that time, I definitely, you know, it impacted me in the sense of I became a Christian. What I saw essentially was a giant light in the sky, and it was sort of turning in a very strange, almost yin-yang kind of way. And um, that actually was... Something that pushed me into a greater faith, and it wasn't the only part of the dream, but it was it was a part of it. And so, my wife and I, Alex and I, we got very interested in in sort of um, some of the end time stuff. But what I realized was that sometimes people get excited about end time stuff, and and they don't really focus on Jesus. So I just started backing away from in that in that regard. Um just one quick story. I, I remember um I I got a flower one time in the mail that predicted the rapture. Hmm. Now if you're new to this, the rapture is this uh, this event that some people believe as prophesied where all Christians disappear from the earth. And so this was setting the date and I, I called up the person who who had written this flyer, um, and you know, got their information and I waited until after the date passed and then I called them back and um, the woman who met with me at that time, she uh, she admitted, yeah, we were wrong and we're going to go back to church and we're rethinking it and so forth. There, so there's something about some of these details that get very polarizing and very, um, for some people, you know, there's a desire to know when is it going to happen? what What's the date that Jesus is going to return? What's it going to look like? And it can get very cartoon-like and very, um, I think, distracting in some ways, mm-hmm. takes away from focusing on what is it really all about
1: yeah you say the rapture so i I also told my story in a previous episode a little bit about when i was young and i became a christian and um in the 80s um you know i i got quickly introduced to a particular view of the end times the eschatology is a is the word is sort of your theory of the end times or your theology of the end times which was a very popular one, and I think it's still very popular today in the in the evangelical church. And that's sort of that pre-tribulation rapture view, right? And um, I remember just being a young Christian, and all my friends in the church that were trying to teach me the ways of Christianity. They talked all about the rapture. But the thing is, we were teenagers; we weren't married yet, and we were we were so afraid that the rapture would happen before we got a chance to get married and experienced intimacy uh and I, we didn't want to be part of the bachelor to the rapture uh club for sure
0: so i yeah I, I know alex has said to me she she grew up with that kind of thinking and, and she felt kind of ripped off because she always had this expectation that the rapture or the end times are just around the corner and she wanted to have a life you know so it's like It's kind of a ripoff, like in some of those movies, like the Left Behind series and so forth. They're they're fairly frightening, you know, when you're young and, you know, people are being pushed into, um, you know, renouncing Jesus or die and all these kind of things. And, and, you know, those things actually do happen in our world still. But, um, you know, when you're growing up in the 80s in North America, um, I I think there is something, though, attractive about that escape, that pre tribulation escape. And that is, in, in a, culture where the church is declining in influence and seeing its voice silenced it it represents kind of an attractive possibility right so maybe we're just going to get out of here um obviously it hasn't happened yet and i'm not and i I don't have a position on pre-trib mid-trib post-trib there's there's a whole bunch of varieties and flavors of when when it happens or if it happens and so forth
1: yeah, I, I think what I like to say to that is, there's, I think there's enough evidence in Scripture to have us to to, to question our our certainty on how the end times will play out. Um, I I think um, even the idea of like, for those of you that are not too familiar with this idea of of the rapture or pre-trib or tribulation, there is a popular view that the end times is about a seven year period that they call the tribulation, the last seven years of the human story, basically. And the pre-tribulation rapture idea is that people uh, who are followers of Christ would be taken out of this world um, before all that terrible stuff happens. Uh, and, and so, yeah, the Left Behind series. There was a series in the 80s, I think it was made in the 70s, called The Thief in the Night. It was the same idea. That yeah. A, yeah, that was
0: sort of like a B-movie yeah, um, yeah. evangelical escape kind of thing.
1: Totally, and it, it is an escape. And it's kind. Of, you're right, it's kind of a nice message where it's like before everything really goes south we get to leave this place and so like if you're a pilot and you're a christian and you're flying a plane and then the rapture happens you disappear and that plane crashes into the ground i mean these these movies kind of played up all that kind of stuff and it was very apocalyptic of course that's the way it is but you know it's interesting when you look into it the the church didn't actually believe this view of the end times for 1500 years like it's not it's not an old idea it's it's a fairly new one and when you when you look at where you get the idea of seven weeks or sorry seven years and how it's the last seven years of human history when you when you study it it is a bit of mental gymnastics to make that story work like it's not the natural reading of the of these apocalyptic writings of scripture like you have to pull that seven years from another prophecy of that's that's 490 years like daniel talks about and for some reason they take the last seven years and they put it into the future and when you find out when they did that that happened around the time of the reformation where it was a pushback against the reformers to come up with a theology that put um the antichrist into the future because the reformers were all saying the pope was the antichrist so it was like to take the spotlight off the pope there was this whole movement about trying to come up with a theology that put the antichrist and put the tribulation into the future and not into the present moment or or sort of an interpretation of it being now and so all all i'm saying is again we're not I don't know what I totally think. I kind of doubt that the seven-year uh, tribulation and pre- and and, uh, and the rapture and all those things, I kind of doubt it's true, actually, because of what I've learned from the scripture and what I've learned from what Jesus said, um, the way you expect Christ to come is probably like the popular view of how it's going to happen. is probably not how it's going to happen. Right. Uh, even in the, in the first coming of Christ, like the Jews had a very specific idea of how the Messiah would come and he did not come. Jesus did not come that way and they missed him. Right. Uh, and so I have, I would, I would highly doubt this for sort of popularized view of the end times. I think it's a lot more obscure than that. And, um, And there's reason to read the scripture in a way where that doesn't actually totally make sense. I think we'll get into that. It's like that horizontal, again, getting to that horizontal view of scripture.
0: Yeah, so this is one of those topics that does, it has a horizontal uh, dimension because I think it's important to say this is about something that happens in history, right? Yeah. But there's a vertical dimension to it and that vertical dimension is something unexpected and um, you know, it talks about, christ coming in on the clouds right and so some people would take that literally to mean that jesus is coming you know from above um i think clouds is a way of saying symbolically from heaven so we don't really know what it looks like does he come in a spaceship you know i mean i think there's people who if i said to you do you believe um aliens might show up one day and just land somewhere on the earth and say we're from whatever beta or something or other (laughs) and uh we're going to tell you how the universe works you know there's probably a significant portion of people who would believe that in a sense that's a kind of event that it you know it's a it's an earth-shattering event it's an event in which our paradigm of reality would probably be challenged and so in a sense the return of christ might fit into that category right i i think this is one of those topics we joke around about too christian or not Christian enough. Like for some people, we're going to sound way too Christian because we're talking about all this nuts and bolts end time stuff. But for, for traditionalists, we might sound we're not Christian enough because we're not, we're kind of not nailing down exactly how it happens. We don't have a timeline. We don't, you know, and all those kind of factors. It, it, there's a lot of people actually currently in, in, in our culture. Um, you can find it on YouTube. There's that believe that we're at the beginning of the end times right now. So I think we, you know we have to say that that's and the and some of the reasons they would they see that is because you know i remember even going back to the 80s um talking about things like um the mark of the beast which is pretty common i think there's even a an, a heavy metal album or two <laughs> with that name um, and just this idea that everybody can be tracked everybody would have a number that can be tracked i mean you, you may not have an opinion on it, I don't know, but I think that possibility is fairly evident in our culture. There there are some things going on that some of those, my wife and I call them the crazy Christians, have been talking about since the 80s that that are prevalent in our culture, and one of them being through technology, the, the, the increasing social control, the ability to know where anybody is at any time.
1: I mean, I have to say I'm a little skeptical of of uh, looking at modern day, um, you know, headlines and trying to connect it to ap- apocalyptic writing of the Bible. Um, I remember growing up again. I don't know why we keep going to the '80s. Maybe this is the last time we've thought about this topic in detail. But there was a famous uh, sort of preacher on television who—that's all—that's all the focus was. Was he literally looked at the headlines? Um, and I think he actually—I think he's done this all the way until now. He's—he'd be really old. I don't know if he's passed away by now, but. Um, it's amazing how someone can spend their whole life on one topic and just be that consistent. I, I kind of admire that part of it, but, uh, he would literally talk about headlines from the newspaper and link it to like verses. like, yeah, you know, I don't know, Russia invades the Ukraine and this is Ezekiel 37, two, and, and he would link everything to a verse he'd never actually read the verse and we would never know the context of those verses. So it was kind of this, this strange thing. So I have to. I have to admit i'm a little bit weary of trying to connect the dots really specifically anyway i I think i think i'm up for looking at like patterns and general themes Uh, but like saying this is this verse and this is that verse um i'm a little cautious about because i find that a lot of people misunderstand apocalyptic writing like from the from the bible as a genre you know i think you've mentioned this before it's it's a lot like maybe what science fiction would be to us right science fiction is a genre um, and it would be weird to take science fiction and treat it like uh, I don't know, like a science textbook, right? Where it would be sort of sort of literal truth. Um, ap- apocalyptic writing is a genre of the of ancient writings, and it's a genre we find in the Bible. Revelation, the book of Revelation, is apocalyptic writing. Matthew twenty four and twenty five, in particular, Jesus's. Uh, Whole exposition there in that time was apocalyptic, and then we know that because he literally references the language of Daniel, and Daniel was an apocalyptic uh, book as well. It was a very popular form of literature between the ex- exile of of Babylon and the, the first century, so it was really, really popular. It was really, um, it was really uh, held onto because it was kind of written to people who have been conquered. Like that's the audience, and so when you when you're conquered, what you want to see is you want to see your oppressors defeated, right? And that 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 apocalyptic writing as a genre was super encouraging to those people. And there's a couple of features of them that we can't ignore. One is that they were written to instill emotion. Like there, you can't sit on the fence when you read this stuff. Like that's why people are are mesmerized by the Book of Revelation. Like it is it is super. Um, it energizing. It's it's super uh, powerful when it comes to instilling emotion or or impacting your emotions. You can't read it and be passive. The second thing is it it is truly symbolic. Like it is coded. Um, That's the nature of the genre. And the the unfortunate part about it is that the original audience would have had a better sense of what those codes mean, right? They're closer to the context. For us looking at back 2,000 years or 3,000 years with a modern you know, post-Age of Enlightenment sort of rational view of the world, um, literal view of the world, to actually interpret Revelation or Matthew 24 or Daniel or Ezekiel or parts of Isaiah literally is just a mistake, like it's not the right way to read it. And in, in fact, the problem I have is that people who do it this way will tell you that those who who interpret it symbolically are wrong. It, the real truth is the literal truth. There's an idea that the literal truth is the real truth, but it's just not a right way to read it. This is a language that is prophesying and speaking to horizontal earthbound events in, in the times. And if you look at it that way and you start to see those patterns, then it, it, it opens up an entirely new look. Like you could read Matthew 24, and there's people that do, and I think I lean this way, where it's like most of that is talking about the first century. Most of that's talking about Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple in AD seventy, um, and the, and people have a hard time with this because the language is so powerful, right? Like what about things like um, the sun goes dark and the moon loses its light, and uh, you know the stars fall from heaven, and a lot of people will interpret that thing as this this sort of physical literal cosmic sort of uh, event, but then you find out in other apocalyptic writings like in Isaiah in particular and in Ezekiel, when they're prophesying about like the fall of Babylon, they say the stars fall from the sky, the sun goes dark, the moon loses its light and other places like the judgment on Egypt and judgment on other places, they're talking about actual the fall of nations or the fall of cultures and civilizations and they're using this very symbolic, powerful These descriptions of like, you know, the heavens being rolled up like a scroll, right? Uh, And and that kind of language. And so if you misunderstand the nature of apocalyptic writing, and you can really go wild with your theories about the end times.
0: Yeah, there's there's a lot in there. I would say, first of all, a a basic understanding of how to read the Bible is, first of all, Try to discover as much as you can about what it meant to the original hearers, and yeah. especially with anything that is um, like like the Book of Revelation and some of these apocalyptic verses. Like you say, they're they're symbolic. They are they're loaded language, and so we need to be careful about too quickly identifying them with current events. I, I think rather than seeing it as a one time thing, though, I agree you're kind of giving the what's called preterism this idea that almost everything the Bible talks about happened in the past. I think that's too limited a view in that, you know, history, I think, has uh, things that repeat, that there are patterns. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginnings of birth pain. So that's straight from the book of Mark. And what that tells us is the things that you see going on in the world, there's there's a repeat pattern aspect to them almost like when a woman is in labor and and those birth pangs happen, they repeat, they get closer together until there will be a point in time when there actually is, you know, the fullness of time where Jesus does return. We try to understand what that means and what that looks like. Um, But I think it foreshadows that and points to that. So rather than saying it only happened in the past, that's too limited to me because then all of the promises that are not fulfilled, all of the problems that are still going on in our world, all of the injustice, all of the things that need to be put right. And I have little faith that human beings by themselves will ever accomplish that. I think that God is a part of that equation and needs to come and it says in Revelation that Jesus is, is returning essentially to rule and he's going to rule over the nations. He's going to come back and he's going to put things in order. and you know there's going to be a part of that that is traumatic that is earth-shattering, that is earth shattering the stars are going to look like they're fall. you know that's just a way of saying what's going to happen is going to be paradigm shifting at a level in history that is you know unparalleled
1: yeah i would agree with you mark i'm not saying that you know matthew 24 or the book of revelation or daniel is completely only talking about the past uh, and that's it so there's nothing more it can say to us I guess that is the big question can these apocalyptic writings be limited part, primarily to the historical context or and to what extent do they, are they actually pointing to the future or to the end to the final you know act of, of humans of the human story I think a couple of metaphors that have been helpful to me and I, actually the third one is willow you mentioned actually the, the the birth pain like having labor and that's a biblical uh, a metaphor brought up about the end times that, that that there's that there are these contractions and then there's time in between them and then another contraction and then there's time between them and they seem to get worse right um I, I one one metaphor that is helpful for me that I've used before is like skipping a, a stone on on water like when you take a flat stone and you throw it on the pond or on the lake and there's that initial hit on the water and I feel like let's say it's Ma- uh, let's say it's Daniel and Daniel is prophesying and talking about the fall of Babylon and the fall of a nation and the destruction of, of all this stuff. It's like that first prophecy hits his generation. So the stone hits the water there the first time, let's say. And then it rises and it it flies. And years pass, maybe centuries passed. And then the stone lands again, right? And in this case, the stone lands again in, in the first century with Jesus um, speaking to his disciples and to the people around him. And he says, you see this temple? It's in Matthew 24. Not one stone is going to be left upon another. And he prophesies the destruction of the temple, right? So the first destruction of the temple happened with Solomon's temple. And then like 500 years later, it happens again. The stone hits the the water again, and then Jesus speaks to it. And he actually references Daniel. So he's like saying, remember, this has happened before. It's happening now again, right? So I guess the question is: Is Matthew twenty-four about just Jesus's time, or will, or can it speak to the future times? Well, presumably the rock lifts again, and flies through history, and then lands again, and then lands again, and then flies, and then. But the thing about it, it loses momentum, and it, and and the time frame between the landings is be getting shorter and shorter and shorter until it finally finds a resting place. I think that's an interesting visual, because it seems like it matches the contraction idea that the contractions get harder and the time between them gets shorter. Um, and I think that's helpful metaphor. And the only, only other metaphor I want to throw out there as well is is sometimes scholars talk about apocalyptic writing being kind of like the prophet is looking at a mountain range from a distance. And when you look at like the Rockies or you look you know at a mountain range or a series of ranges, you can't tell the distance between them from your perspective, right? To you, it just looks like the entire range is the same range. But if you could get closer and get in bird's eye view, you you would realize that there's this range in front, there's these mountains in front, and then there's mountains behind, but the distance between those mountains could be miles and miles. So some say, well, these apocalyptic writings are speaking about events in their time, but they're also seeing events in the future. And the prophet really can't tell the difference between the two ranges. They can't really discern that there's time span that's happening. So it's very possible that Mark, Matthew 24 is speaking about AD 70 and about the destruction of the second temple. And it also is speaking to future uh, you know, um, realities and maybe an ultimate and to the age as we know it. But, you know, the questions that the disciples asked Jesus in Matthew 24 are, when will these things be? Like, when will this this temple be destroyed? And what will be the sign of the end of the age, right? And Jesus answers both those questions. And how and when he answers them, maybe that's what's a little confusing. But I tend to see that when they say, what will be the sign of the end of the age, I feel like what they're talking about there is the end of that age. that That's my that's my first, uh, I guess, interpretation. The end of that age, the age of the Old Testament, the age of the temple system with the animal sacrifices, right? That age of Israel came to an end. It came to an end when that temple got destroyed. It came to an end when Jesus died on the cross and the, and the curtain in the, in, the, in the holy place ripped. And it was the sign that no, no longer would the blood of animals be used to for the forgiveness of sins that Jesus died on the cross and he died once and for all. And in Hebrews it actually says he died and he did that at the culmination of the age of the ages. So there was an age that ended in in the first century, you know. And when Jesus said to his disciples, you know, you're this generation is going to see all these things. That's I think that's what he's saying. I think you're seeing the end of an
0: age. Yeah, i think that's a legitimate point of view and just there's there's many verses that talk about that as the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire so it will be at the end of the age matthew thirteen forty. 40. Uh, this is how it will be at the end of the age the angels will come and they'll separate the wicked from the righteous you know as jesus was sitting on the mount of olives disciples came to him privately tell us they said when will this happen and what will be the sign of your coming at the end of the age so this end of age um phrase repeats in many many uh, verses and i think that jesus had come at a time that was you know culturally was an end of an age Um, that doesn't mean to say that the same thing you know can't be happening now like people are talking in a sense western culture has run out of steam christendom has collapsed we seem to be kind of at an end point we wonder where things are going we're in the middle of this uh technological revolution that's changing everything you know, it's interesting, historically, one of the things they say about the spread of the gospel in the first century was um, the Roman road. The Roman road went everywhere. So the Romans were the ruling empire, and their roads allowed the Apostle Paul to go all over, um, you know, to all through right to the Roman capital, Asia Minor, and so forth. And so the gospel was spread through that that, that system that had been set up by the Romans. And today we have a new system mm-hmm. that's set up and is uniting everything and everywhere in the world. And so what, what are the implications of that? Um, I think it's interesting. You talked about the stone. So in Daniel, it talks about the stone that comes and, and basically smashes the statue. And so anyone is unfamiliar with, it, there's a statue that's presented in Daniel that represents uh, a series of kingdoms that basically run the world, and the last one being um, the Ro- the Romans essentially. And um, and then, but the ultimate is God's kingdom, and 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 the. Bible presents a picture in which God's kingdom will eventually rule and set up and rule the world. And so, you know, has that happened yet? I don't think so. Um, but it's that idea that that human beings are always built building systems, right? Our families are systems or schools are systems or governments are systems and humans, all human systems have hierarchy. They have values. Um, I think so often, you know, whenever you have a, a human system, there's always some people who are at the top of the hierarchy that are more important. You have people at the periphery, you have people who get sacrificed so that the system can maintain its continuity and so forth. Um, and the idea of God's kingdom, you know, when Jesus is saying the, to the least of you, these, you've done it to me, what he's basically saying is those on the periphery of the system, get a special access to me. And, and the meek shall inherit the earth well, how in, i haven't seen that happen yet but in god's kingdom those are symbols or those are ways of talking about how it's going to operate hasn't hasn't been realized in our in our world yet um so i think we need that um fullness of god's kingdom the fullness of that historical expression of heaven coming to earth because human beings are not capable enough by themselves to to bring that about and uh, we'll always miss the mark. And so I even think in, in our own families, in my family, you know, in a sense, I represented God to my children when they were young. You know, I, I tried telling them about Jesus, you know, tried doing my best as a, as a parent and so forth. Um, but there's a balance, you know, all human beings, str- we struggle with hierarchy, we struggle with power, we struggle with control. We miss the mark. And and that has a huge impact on our families, on our communities. Um, what the kingdom of God is, is a realization of, of of heaven coming to earth. And when Jesus returns, essentially he's going to set up a system that leads to the most justice and the most uh, peace, the most harmony. And how that's going to happen and when that's going to happen is is a mystery that we're waiting to see fulfilled. I
1: agree with you about the kingdom of God. I, and I, I also looked at that story of the stone hitting the statue, um, the vision of the statue that has the four kingdoms, Um, It's interesting because Daniel interpreted that dream for Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar wasn't even a believer in God, right? He set himself up as God and had people try to worship him. But he's the one that had that dream of this statue in it. And there was a head of gold and the arms and chest were of silver and the belly and the thighs were of bronze. And then finally the legs and the feet were of iron and the feet were of iron and clay. And he didn't know what it meant. And he got all his... um, his wise men and his sorcerers and like magicians and like, like spiritual gurus to try to interpret it. But he said, I'm not even going to tell you what the dream is. You have to tell me what the dream is and then tell me it's message. And they're like, they're like, nobody can do this. Like, like no, there's nobody that can tell you what you dream- dreamt. And he, the reason I think Nebuchadnezzar was like this is he was so sick of the gurus and the, the spiritual, like, you know, all the magicians he, he was tired of people just misleading and just just there being nothing to it right and he literally said if you can't tell me my dream and what it means i'm gonna just kill you all right and it was daniel that was like just give me a minute i'm gonna I'm gonna go. <laughs> hold my beer <laughs> hold my beer i'm gonna go call out to god and uh see if he'll tell me what this is and he literally wanted to save everybody like he he, he didn't want everyone to be killed right um and so he talked to god about it and god told him nebuchadnezzar's dream and what it meant and so when he, when he brought this to nebuchadnezzar like nebuchadnezzar basically went holy you, your god is the true god like this is who else can reveal secrets this is amazing um but the interpretation of that dream was basically those four kingdoms that would come right yeah and what you mentioned and the final one being uh rome it was it was babylon and, and then the medes and the Persians persians and then the and then greece and then rome and this is literally this four to five hundred year uh, history, but but then the vision shows this rock getting cut out of a, a of a mountain and smashing the feet of this idol, and then this rock grows into a mountain that fills the whole earth, and so that rock is Christ, and the the mountain that fills the whole earth becomes the kingdom of God. Jesus had similar, uh, you know ideas about the kingdom he said it's like a mustard seed it's a tiny little seed and then it grows into this massive tree or a little bit of yeast that slowly permeates the whole you know whole piece of bread or lump of bread and i i see that that is the nature of how the kingdom of god has been growing when we say kingdom of god i think we're talking about just like the ways of god like the 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 order of god the, the like you say what what the per, the perfection of what heaven would would be like
0: like if everybody um in the world were just living in such a way that would reflect christ you know love thy neighbor as yourself the most basic rule that most people would, would agree with um, so and putting others first, loving your enemy—all of those kind of things—if if people were doing that on a on a you know social level, every every which way, it would lead to more harmony, more peace. It would lead to um, less breakdown of society, less violence, uh, less injustice. And and the kingdom of God is essentially a picture of the increasing presence. Um, of, uh, of that happening. So there's there's an interesting parallel when Jesus is arrested, he ends up going uh, to the high priest, and he ends up going to Pilate, which represented uh, the Romans at that time in Jerusalem. And one of the accusations against Jesus was he's saying he's the king, king of the Jews. So if we talk about like, these are like competing systems or competing families. Mm-hmm. And um, so the Jews are upset with Jesus because he's claiming to be the Messiah. He's not doing it. He's, he's not meeting their expectations. Um, he's eating and drinking with the wrong people, and and he's but people are following him, and people are starting to respond to him, and and so it threatens their power. Their power is anchored in the temple in their culture, mm-hmm. and they end up going to Rome because Rome occupies Jerusalem, and they end up before Pilate, and so Pilate has an exchange with um, with Jesus where he's basically saying to him, you know. Um, Are you the king of the Jews? So he repeats the accusation and Jesus basically says, my kingdom is not of this world. If it was, I would, I would tell you basically. Right. So what's he saying? He's basically saying, I'm operating out of a different system than you're operating out of. You're about this hierarchy, this power and control ruling over people. My kingdom functions and operates differently. Um, And so, in a sense, he's willingly submitting his life to Pilate, willingly submitting his life to the accusers. And that's what the death and resurrection takes on that symbolic uh, power. And that that reality is Jesus is demonstrating my system and my kingdom is more powerful than yours. And in the end, we'll win out. So when Jesus resurrects, he says he's the first fruits of the new creation. What he's essentially saying is, my system, the new um, order of how it's going to be started with Jesus in that moment It was fulfilled, fulfilled in that moment and, and can spread to everyone that understands and connects with the life that is in Christ. So there's a, there's a power struggle between two systems. Um, so the kingdom of God will eventually win that battle. It's still, in a sense, it was won through Jesus when he died and resurrected. I mean, this is a traditional kind of Christian position, mm-hmm. but it's still being worked out in history, and we're not there yet.
1: I think we should have another episode, uh, Mark, about the death and resurrection. At some point, it is a pretty important event. Uh, but the thing that strikes me about what he said to Pilate, too, was that if my kingdom was of this world, my disciples would have taken up swords right, and and fought and and. and so a striking aspect of the kingdom of God is is this idea of nonviolence. It's a different spirit. It's a, it's the opposite spirit of the system of the world, and the system that we've we've we're seeing even in in the present day. I guess when I was thinking about this topic, we're talking about the end times. It it we're talking about the end of the story, and. It should have a positive end, like it should have a good ending, right? Like I remember, I was on, I signed that petition to reshoot the last season of Game of Thrones because I didn't like how it ended, and no one did. Millions of us didn't, so we we don't like a bad ending. Um, And so I I started to look at like how how is this supposed to end? And and we kind of do need a good positive view of the future. It, It goes back to our Google Man cometh episode where you know Nietzsche talks about this. Google man or Uber man, it's like a, it's like a vision of what humanity should be or what our future should be. And one of the things he reacted to was that the Christians and the Christian God had this escape mentality, right? And he thought that the, the way future, the way of the future would be that the, who, however it would work out, we would bring value to live life on the earth. We would be, bring value to the material world. And even the popular view of eschatology today, right? Is it's a, it's rapture, it's escape, it's get out, cause cause all this terrible stuff's gonna happen and, and we're not gonna be around to to you know to be there for anybody. I don't I don't think that's what we need. I think we need a positive view of the end or a positive view of our future. And I think Christianity offers it, even though maybe we have failed uh, as Christians to really show that. I, I think it really does. Um, and you know, you mentioned are we coming to the end of an age? We talk about a post-Christian, we're in a post-Christian society. When I look f- to the future, a part of the reason why I, I'm rejecting atheism and I'm rejecting secularism, even though it was I was really uh, playing with it pretty pretty long there for, for a long time, was I just felt like it's not really offering anything. Um, I feel like we're wired for God, that there has to be a sense of uh, something bigger than us, uh, uh, or else the biggest bully will rule, right? Like we have to ha- have to as a humanity answer to something bigger than ourselves. because when you look at that future that the Bible presents, like one of them is called the Isaiah's millennium millennial reign it's It's a bunch of verses in Isaiah, and he talks about things like this. God's ways are followed universally. Everyone just sort of follows the way of love. Um, there's no more war in this future. Uh, it talks about where, like, weapons of war are, like, melted down and they're remade to be, like, tools of productivity and farming. And um, there's peace for all humanity in, in these descriptions in Isaiah. Uh, he talks about a new heaven and a new earth. That's actually a very common phrase in apocalyptic writing, and a new heaven and new earth, a restoration of all things. That the apostles talk about that, where there's no more crying, there's no more pain, there's no more infant death. People live really long. Like Isaiah talks about how a 100-year-old person would be considered like a kid. <laughs> um, and there's peace in the animal kingdom. Like the lion lies down with the lamb. Uh, and and working and bearing children is kind of easier. So even when you look at Revelation, like Revelation 21 and 22, the very end, it's almost like the, a restoration of Eden. It's like, at, but at a civilization level. Like it's not a garden, it's a city, right? The New Jerusalem. And God is at the center of it. So there is no secular, you know, God is dead civilization. It is an acknowledgement of the throne of God, like the ways of God being established. And there's the tree of life in that city, which is back again to the garden, but a new, you know, a new civilization. That's where there's healing. It says healing for the nations. The Bible and Christianity has a very positive view. Of what our future can be and I, I think it's a mistake to ignore that or to leave
0: it behind that's a great kind of summary of, of some stuff from isaiah i you know so there is the, there needs to be an end to the story the story needs to um, have a fulfillment the end of the story here is that jesus is king that he will come back that he will rule over the nations that he will um if bring a fulfillment of all of that stuff that you just read in it, Isaiah. Um, I mean, this is such a big topic, but I think it's important for me to say, I don't, I don't think human beings by ourselves bring this about. I, I don't, you know, um, it's not, can we get the best, you know, I think globalism attempts to bring about a system where, you know, all the nations are in harmony and we have a global government and all that it sounds like you might be saying that but i i think human beings will attempt to fulfill this and that's maybe part of the story of the end times and i don't i you know i don't know how this all works but human beings will attempt to, in a sense bring the garden back to earth um you know through our own methods our own hierarchy our own control and programs, and that ultimately will just lead to oppression and and, and damage to uh, many individuals. It will have to come about in such a way that the meek inherit the, the earth, that's which right. sounds impossible to me, to be honest. Yeah, But that's a picture that we get. And just to throw in a little bit of um, uh, Lord of the Rings here, it's interesting that I think the writer of, of Lord of the Rings, D.R. Tolkien, he very much presents this battle to get to that future in the Lord of the Rings, right? There's the Middle Earth, which is in the middle between hell below and heaven above, right? Which is a very traditional worldview. Mm-hmm. And there's these battles that are happening. And um, it, against overwhelming odds, it seems that the fellowship of the ring are, will, will not survive, that the light will be snuffed out, that the age of men is over the time of the Orc has come, right? Which is, is a picture of oppression, boot stamping on the face of man for eternity to quote George Orwell. That's that's the dark side that, that is potential with the system. Um, but in Gandalf says, look to my coming at first light on the first day, at dawn look to the east. <laughs> it's a picture of Christ returning. In other words, look to the clouds. When you see me coming, you know, in the clouds, um, Gandalf is the kind of a Christ figure in the story who comes at that crucial, critical moment in the battle to to change the direction of it. And that's, I think, what, in a story form, that's what we're looking for. We're looking for Christ to come back and change the ending of the story. Yeah, that's a great picture. I have to admit, Mark, I don't know how that'll play out. Like, I
1: still struggle with this idea of, like, Jesus coming in the clouds, literally, and, and that's would be a very common, popular view of how this is going to happen. Um, I don't know what the coming of Christ means. Like w- when you look at the first century, because that was the coming of Christ, um, and even um, the way it played out. Like Jesus said, "I must leave so that the Holy Spirit can come," and then, and then, and then he turned the entire uh, his disciples into little Christs. And that gospel was spread, like you said, through Paul and others through Roman roads to the entire known world at the time, from their perspective. Um, and and so that initiated a new age, right? Like that was that was in a sense the first coming. How that rolled out, and it was very very different than what the Jews expected. And so they actually missed it, and it turned to Gentiles. Like a new age of the Gentiles started. And so I'm a little, again, a little weary about how this might actually play out. Like all I know is what I can hold on to is I feel like there is a future that like Isaiah describes and like Revelation 21 and 22 describes. And I think you're right. I think there's a there's a battle for who will determine that future. Uh, I think there is a antichrist sort of, you know, a substitute Christ, a false Christ sort of uh, system that's rooted in, coercion and control and violence. And then there's the kingdom of God, which is like you say, I don't know how that's going to happen. How will the meek inherit the earth? But it goes all the way back to like the very beginning of the Bible, like the promise to Abraham where God said to Abraham, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed through your descendants. And you're going to have descendants as numerous as the sand on the, on the beach and the stars in the sky. But this was always going to be a global thing. The kingdom of God. It was always going to be all the families of the earth. Right from the beginning, this was the promise. You know, there's a verse in Psalm 2:8 where it's like God says, "Ask me, and I'll give you the nations for your inheritance." Right? And then, and then uh, there's other parts about all the ends of the earth are going to remember the Lord. And there's all this this emphasis of like the whole world is gonna is gonna. Uh, I don't know, come under the, the authority of Christ, but I don't know how that's gonna happen. And I think for people who really are clear, this is exactly where it's gonna happen. Is it the day it's gonna happen? I'm really weary of that.
0: The the uh, Anyone who sets dates or draws an exact timeline, it's just their best guess, right? And there are people who literally study this topic, that's the only topic they study, <laughs> and we're doing probably a very like, you know, all over the map kind of version here. Um, for me i guess to bring it back to what difference has it made in my life right mm-hmm. um when i've been uh, really down and have gone through difficult uh times you know it's that is there meaning is there if there's an end to the story Ultimately, there's meaning, right? That's what we're looking for. Is, is everything just happening and there's no meaning? It's just whatever happens, happens. Whoever has the most power, like Pilate says, what is truth, right? In other words, nah, I make, I'm make. i in charge. I, I get to decide what's, what's what. If there's an end to the story, if there's a purpose to how history is unfolding, then there is a time when things can be put in balance, when injustices will be addressed, when... Um, You know, the earth shall be restored, where creation will be a second creation. And we don't exactly know what that looks like. We don't know what the YouTube channel will be like that, that, you know, displays that. (laughs) Um, But it's important is is it creates hope in us, you know. And so, um, you know, it says, Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope and purified themselves just as he is pure. So there's a sense in which if if you believe you're living in this biggest story, it helps you to make decisions. It helps you to keep going when things are difficult. It helps you to make hard choices that, you know, and grow in maturity and and, and, and help others and all of those things. It helps foster that, that, that foundation that makes the world a better place.
1: We did kind of reference earlier in our conversation, Mark, about, uh, like, are we at the end of, it, of an age? You know, it's um, a good question. Yeah, yeah. We, we've talked about a post Christian culture. Uh, things are going crazy in our world right now. Are we at the end of an age, and what could Christ's could Christ come in in a sense to our culture as as a coming? That I think those are really relevant questions. I'm not sure if we have good answers for them.
0: And would we know, right? Because I mean, if you put yourself in the first century. Initially, probably most people would have had no clue. Mm-hmm. They, they had very little knowledge. They're in the story and all of a sudden Jesus shows up. There had been other people claiming to be prophets doing different things. Most of them had died. And so here's Jesus and he's going around, um, preaching and healing people. And causing a ruckus, people are following him. It's enough of a problem that, that the temple, the religious system of the day, it, you know, and which was their government as well, by the way. It wasn't like they had a government and a religious system. The religious system was their was everything. Okay, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and and it's unhappy with Jesus, and it's starting. You know, some people are taking a side, others are not. Um, it, it, you know, the reason Jesus was eventually killed was because some of those in that religious system got together and decided that um, it, enough is enough, right? And that which led to him being crucified Um, as it's happening in that day, in that time, he had a handful of followers, you know, the 12 disciples and there were others in that circle, but it's a small group of people following him, hanging on his words and, and waiting for this kingdom that he talks about to come. Most people probably were oblivious, you Mm -hmm. know, of the significance of it. After he dies and resurrects, then the whole thing starts to blow up to use, you know, like, uh, went viral. Mm -hmm. And, um, it says Peter, the apostle Peter gave a sermon and on one day, 3000 people were converted. So it starts to go viral, starts to blow up for sure. And that leads to eventually the entire, um, you know, Roman empire being converted to Christianity becomes your, you know, right. Christianity becomes the religion of the empire in AD 400. Mm-hmm. So there there's that's a massive cultural change that happens through the through that that spiritual reformation that happened through Jesus at that time. Yeah. Um if it were happening today would we recognize it? I I think
1: you're totally right and I think most people wouldn't. If you look at the patterns like if we're saying that these apocalyptic writings have multiple fulfillments through history but we could at least look at the patterns in those historical moments as a clue of what how of what could happen i think mass deception is one of those uh, pieces of of the pattern right like jesus even said watch out that no one deceives you again back to matthew 24 here's one of the things to watch watch out no one deceives you uh, many will come in in my name many will come to be claimed to be the messiah right we know for sure in that first century from uh, historian scholars like um like josephus the jewish uh, historian there were tons of people claiming laying claiming claim on being on the messiah right and and, and there was a lot of mis- miscommunication misinformation and deception and again, if you go back to the destruction of the first temple, the Solomon's temple, another point in history where the, this this is happening, all of the people in Jerusalem didn't believe Babylon was going to do was going to be a threat. Like th- they had actual other uh, false prophets saying, "Ah, this Babylonian thing, don't worry about it; it'll be done in two years. Uh, uh, Nebuchadnezzar is going to fall," and they were actually saying the exact opposite to what only one person. Said was going to happen that was actually true, Jeremiah. And Jeremiah said to the people, You're trusting in lying words. Those prophets, they're wrong. Nebuchadnezzar is coming and he's going to destroy this place if we don't like humble ourselves. And he was the only voice saying that. And he was the one that was right, right? So if you look at today and you look at like our times in the West, it is riddled with fake news, alternative facts, you know uh there's a gated there's a gated institutional narrative that you hear and 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 any kind of dissenting voice is being edited out or 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 algorithmed out or controlled by you know media companies it's really hard to know what actually is true today and i think that is a sign of of an end of 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 an end of the age right
0: yeah the, the consensus is breaking down we don't have a we don't have a consensus story anymore it's breaking down we have institutions that are, people don't trust. Politicians, they they're losing trust in education systems. They're losing, you know, every, everything is shifting and breaking down. And there's a lot of uncertainty. And at the same time, though, there's there's never been more power through those control systems um, in the hands of you know sometimes unelected individuals. You know, like people who like who run Facebook and different you know different systems have a lot of power, um, and it creates. Um, it creates a way to um, bring bring a, uh, I think there's an attempt being made today to bring a unity to people that re- requires social pressure and, and technology rather than actual change of heart, right? Right. Um, and that is only going to lead to somewhere, I think, terrible. You know, it's going to lead to oppression. It's going to lead... To ultimately to people not, at the very least, not being free to speak their mind, not, and and so um, we're supposed to speak the truth in love, which means I can sometimes say things that you disagree with, or that you see differently, even here, we don't, we don't have the same view on, on everything. And that's okay. But I respect your opinion. And, and I feel the same vice versa. So mm-hmm. we can learn from each other, we can build each other up. We're living in a fantasy land of illusion, I think, you know, and it's getting harder to tell truth from reality, and, he, and that's one of the things it talks about in Revelation. It does say, you know, that there, there's an image of a beast and all of these poetic pictures tell us that there, there is, there's big symbolic things happening. We can all sense it. We mm-hmm. don't understand it. We don't mm-hmm. know how it's all going to play out, where it's all going. Um, and I think, but the book of Revelation basically is tell, tells us in the end, God wins. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I, I, I see that it's, it's pretty scary. Uh, another sign that Jesus talked about of his of the of the end of the age is this sort of persecution that happens, right? Like he says that he says to his disciples that they're going to hand you over to be persecuted, um, and you see that kind of thing also happening today in the West. Um, it's like silencing those who contradict or challenge power or challenge the the narrative that's being presented um even when you go back to babylon and daniel and shadrach meshach abednego like nebuchadnezzar put up like statues to worship and they wouldn't bow down to them and they and then the intimidation and fear and the violence would be if you don't bow down to this you're going to be thrown into this fiery furnace right and then these three hebrew children say we're not going to bow and and that's a very courageous thing to do And, and and it's very courageous today to do that to say we're not going to just sort of bow to this this control um but they said to nebuchadnezzar god is able to deliver us from that fiery furnace but he says even if he doesn't so they weren't even sure even if he doesn't um, we're not going to bow and so he throws them in it's so hot that the people throwing them in get burned and die they get thrown into the fiery furnace and they survive and in fact there seems to be a fourth person he says in there that's like the son of god or whatever and he pulls them out, and he starts to worship their god, which which is a powerful, miraculous story. But I think the point there is to be to have the courage to stand when you know you're being pushed uh, to conf- to contradict your your values or your sense of what is right or wrong or true. To have that courage to stand is really hard. But the promise there that even if you if you do, there there will be somebody with you god god will be with you in that fiery furnace to to secure you and to make sure that you come out okay but like when we think of today's cancel culture political correctness the inability to have conversations with people that don't see the same don't see eye to eye the idea to that we could just have a, a respectful conversation like you said and not feel like we have to be polarized and be each other's enemy like that seems to be another sign of the end of the of, of the age that's Something we've seen in the, in the Bible and in, those, in these examples.
0: Did you know that um, early Christians were considered uh, atheists and and were accused of things like um, cannibalism and, and child sacrifice by the Roman authorities? Because the Romans had their set of gods, right, and they were they had multiple gods. Wow! And so the Christians wouldn't go along with worshiping their gods. In other words, their system was centered in their pagan gods and. That led them to see the Christians who didn't, didn't worship their gods, well, they're atheists. I mean, they, they had a totally different concept and, and awareness of God, you know, through Christ. Um, and that's, that's part of the problem here is that we're talking about um, competing systems, you know. And one system is built on hierarchy and social control and um, power. And the Christian kingdom is supposed to be built on love and the reality of Christ. Yeah, and so one of the reasons I think it's taken so long is it's obviously a much slower program, right? <laughs> um, it it takes it's taking a long time, I think, in history, and people have a lot of people have given up waiting, and a lot of people say, well, you know if it were going to happen, it would have happened kind of thing. There's a verse, I think it says in the last days will come scoffers. I'm going to go from memory here. Yeah. In the last days, scoffers will come scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming? He promised ever since our ancestors died. Everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. It's a, why is it, why is it taking so long? You know, um, but maybe, maybe we're getting closer.
1: I wanted to ask you what you thought about this idea. It's something that I kind of ended my book with uh, you know that got published like fourteen years ago. Even as I, I've i reread it recently and, and the way I kind of interpreted it I think it was a little off now. It's it's funny when you get something in print, you always worry that 10 years later you might not believe, believe what you wrote. But the idea I think still stands and I wanted to see what you thought of this. I, I compare the the exile of 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 Babylon, like the, the Jews being brought into Babylon in five eighty six BC to something happening today in our culture. And that that exile didn't happen in one episode. It was about a 10 year process. There was an early batch that went and that was the Daniel group. There was another batch that went and then finally the fall and destruction and uh, and it was terrible. That early batch that went, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, they were put into like training programs to learn the Babylonian culture because they were gonna serve Babylon. But they still had their faith in the Jewish God, right? So. But what was interesting about them was that they were positioned in the culture so that when things started to go nuts and there was no, there was mysteries that needed to be solved, that there was misinformation and there were, there were, you know, like I think when ba- when Nebuchadnezzar was like, I'm going to kill all you people if you don't tell me what my dream was and interpret it, he was just sick and tired of the misinformation, the, just the bullshit that's out there.
0: Too right? much <laughs> fake news in ancient Babylon?
1: Yeah, too much <laughs> fake news. <laughs> that's a good way to put it. And so what happened was these individuals, the Daniel, the Shadrach, the Meshach Abednego, carefully positioned, who are literally, the way I applied it in the book was that these were people who have left Christianity, who have been placed in the world, who are early exiles, people that I, I would call you somebody like that, people that we meet with regularly in our SOMA group, others maybe who are listening to us. You're out of the church, you're out of Christianity, but you haven't lost your faith maybe you're finding new ways to practice it. Like they had new ways like they ate, they ate only vegetables and they, they had prayers patterns and like Daniel and those guys, they had a different way of practicing their Christ, their faith. But then they were called upon to make sense of what was going on in the culture. They interpreted the handwriting on the wall. They interpreted the mysteries. They were Nebuchadnezzar called them the revealer of mysteries. And so, I kind of position this in the book like, is that where this is going? We're living in Babylon. We're living in this post-Christian culture. But at some point, when there's a lot of confusion and there needs to be voices of 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 revelation, like to show what this is all about, will these people emerge? Will the Daniels emerge?
0: Well, that's a great question. I feel like my entire um, experience as a Christian has been in exile essentially because i became a christian i didn't grow up in the church really i had some minimal sort of nominal background i had a very profound experience in my 20s that set me off in this this journey and it definitely hit a wall at a certain point and i rethought a lot of things but i've always struggled with that too christian not christian enough kind of thing you know it's like i've i've been involved in churches i've, I've worked at a church and then i've been on the outside of the church, and. Um, It's like culture has patterns and ways of thinking and working, all systems and institutions do. And even the ones that are set up around Christ or the Bible miss the mark in many ways, but they also over time lose their ability to speak, right? Mm -hmm. And that's part of what's happened. I think there's many people in churches who are good people who try to live Christ-like lives, who understand Scripture, but there's also culture has changed so much that we've lost the ability to speak. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I've, I felt because of my background as an artist and some things, you know, the way that my life kind of unfolded, I was sort of in that, that middle role trying to speak, trying to um, communicate to people in a different way. And, and I guess I'm, I'm back trying to do that with this podcast. I've t- taken a little hiatus along the way to sort out some things in my own life. Um, I I do think it's possible. And I think maybe that's what we're trying to do on on this podcast. Yeah. So
1: I I guess I could end it this way. Calling all Daniels, calling all Daniels. (laughs) Our culture is crazy. It's confusing. There's lots of um, intimidation going on. There's lots of deception going on. I don't know what's true. I don't know what's real. We're coming to the end of an age, maybe, and we need those Daniels to emerge. I'm not saying that they could emerge themselves, but be watching, be looking. We need to hear your voice. It's probably not the left woke voice. It's probably not the Trump bandwagon voice. There's something of the meek shall inherit the earth. There's something of the exile who's been positioned there to, to reveal the mysteries and to show the way forward, and that way forward has to be good news.
0: If you have a comment, if anything we've said uh, makes sense to you, send us an email. We'd love to hear from you.